If you have your Bibles this morning, Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. Once you're there, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning, Isaiah 57, verse 15. This one verse that we've been looking at. And we'll all audibly read it together once everyone's there. Praise the Lord if you can. Let's read it together this morning. For thus saith the High and Lofty One that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So, Father, this morning we pray for your anointing and for your help, and for the unction, and for the power of your spirit to come and breathe upon us afresh, both to preach and to hear your word. Lord, we pray that you would do such a work among us, in us and through us, for your name and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's take our seats together this morning. Last week it was the reviving power of a humble spirit. And this morning I, I want to, I believe I'll conclude these four messages with the recovering power through a humble spirit, the recovering power through a humble spirit. You know, we are in a day where we need to see a great recovery. We need to see the Lord work in His reviving power to revive us, but not only to revive us, but to work through us. God wants to work through our lives. He wants to work in us, but praise the Lord, He wants to work through us. And that is the church of Jesus Christ. That's our purpose here on the earth, that we're not only a gathering of people that meet in His name, but also that we are a, the vessel or the vehicle by which the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, will work through into this world. And we need to see a great recovery in the days in which we're living because so much has been lost, so much has been taken, there is so much devastation, there is so much brokenness. That's not only in the world, but that is in lives even in this room this morning that there needs to be a recovery of things that were once center in our lives, their focus of our lives, that they've been lost. We've lost so much, and the outward may not demonstrate that, but in the heart of a man or a woman, we know by the witness of the Holy Ghost that we have lost something that we once had. Perhaps we once had a fervent walk with the Lord. Perhaps once we were fervent, in the things of God, but sadly through circumstances and our own sin and our own rebellion, that coldness has come and so we have lost so much. Sometimes that happens over many years. People are away from the Lord, they're cold and indifferent, and we need the recovering power of the Holy Spirit to come and to recover the years that have been lost. And it's only by God, by the Holy Spirit, that God is able to do that. There is an answer in all of that that God is able to work on our behalf to recover. The reviving power of God, when God moves in revival power, and we have sung these songs this morning that are very precious to us, when God moves in revival power, there is a work of recovery that takes place. That's why we pray for revival. Because when revival comes, there's also a recovery. That which has been lost to the church is recovered by the power of the Holy Ghost. He raises the church up again by the power of His Spirit to recover those things that have been taken or the enemy has stolen. And we have been looking at the rebellion uh, that took place under Manasseh and the spirit of Manasseh that came. And last week we seen that he humbled himself greatly. And when the church including me and you and all of us who are a part of that, when we come again to know what it is to greatly humble ourselves before the Almighty God, it is at that point with great assurance that we can know that God is going to work in revival power, but there's also going to be a great recovery. And you you be here this morning, your things in your life, there's circumstances that you've come through, there's so many situations that you can identify and point to and know in the depths of our heart that those things have been completely devastated by sometimes our own sin, 
our circumstances or other people's sin and the church in its, in its waywardness. There has been a great loss of so much. We have lost so much as the church of Jesus Christ. Many would be offended of that because we feel or they feel that the church has everything today, but we really are like the Laodicean church. We have much increase of everything, but we're really poor and we're wretched and we're blind and we're naked and we want to recover really what it is to be that testimony for the Lord in these last days where Christ's glory is so manifested and His presence is so manifested in the midst of His people that there's a recovery, that, that there's a bringing back those things that, that God has purposed for the church to be. And we see that in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. We know that that first church is the church. That is the purpose of God and what God had purposed it to be, a people. They were ordinary people, but they were so wonderfully saved and washed in the blood, but they were all filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And through that vehicle, that early church, God impacted the world around them. They turned the world upside down because Christ had so filled them with the power of His Spirit. But we've lost so much in the days in which we're living. Some things that we need to know that happen in the recovery. If you turn into the prophet Joel, Joel chapter 2, you'll see here the outpouring, the reviving, but you also see the restoration. There's a recovery in God. Why we need revival? And then God working through His people to bring about our recovery. In Joel chapter 2 and verse 23, the prophet says, Be glad then, ye children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for He hath given you the former rain moderately, and He will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. So there we see the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We see the showers as we talked about it last week, the outpouring, the reviving, the power of God, the showers of blessing being poured out. What happens according to the prophet then? He says, and the floors shall be full of wheat and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. There is there is an abundance in God as He pours out His Spirit. God, give us an appetite for revival and for God to move in His power. Because when He just comes, when the showers come, friends, it's, it's better than a thousand sermons. It's better than a thousand meetings when God just comes in His glory and His power and the showers of His blessing. Yes, there'll be preaching. Yes, there'll be meetings. But friends, when God comes and He takes the field, Friends, we to see the, the works of God like we have never seen them because He's found a place where He can come to, but He can work through. And we need the showers. This is what the prophet's saying. He's saying He will cause the rain to come down, the former and the latter rain. It will be an abundance of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then as we see the revival, verse 23 speaks of the recovery. It speaks of a restoration. And he says, and I will restore. There's a restoration when revival comes. There's a restoration of the years that the locust, this is the judgment of God now, the locust has eaten the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, the great army that the Lord had sent among them to chastise them because of their waywardness, their indifference, their backsliddenness, their coldness. And now God's beginning to deal with His people. He says, I'll pour out my Spirit upon you. There'll be showers that will come down. But then I'll work through you. There's a restoration. Friends, that's the wonderful thing in God. We could be afar from God for decades, cold and indifferent and doing our own thing. But when we humble ourselves and when we cry out to God, God comes with those showers of blessing and there's a recovery of all the years that have been wasted. It is in God this morning that you'll find the purpose of His great recovery. But I have abandoned the purpose of God. I abandoned it when I was younger and I've lived my own life and I knew it was the right way. But friends, when a heart is humbled before the Lord and when there's a cry that comes up, the showers of God's mercy and His blessing and His grace falls upon that soul and God's able to restore all the years that have been wasted. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. He says there's a restoration. 
Verse 26 says, you shall eat in the plenty. You'll be satisfied. You'll praise. You'll be satisfied. There's a satisfaction. You know, this world is longing to be satisfied with all the things of the world, but none can thrill our soul but Jesus. He satisfies that longing soul. And it says there, that the, and the praise the name of the Lord, because he's dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be put to shame. This is all because there was a humble spirit. There was a humbling of the heart. There was a humbling of the people's heart before the Lord. And the reviving power comes when there is a humility of spirit. We talked about it last week, that it's not in the outward. It's not in the acts. It's in the condition of the Spirit. There's a humbleness of the Spirit. There's a brokenness. There's a tenderness. May God break us in this week of prayer. May there be a brokenness before the Lord. May we humble ourselves greatly in the presence of God, not in a false humility, but just tenderly before the Lord because we're in great need. Brothers and sisters, we're in great need. There are great needs. And we need to make ourselves very low. We need to come low. We need to get down low, friends. We need to get ourselves down on our faces. We need to seek the Lord. But there must be a brokenness. There must be a contrition. We need to get low. God help us. We don't even know how to do that if we're really honest. How do we make ourselves low? Lord, help us to get low this week. Help us to get down. Not, not in a way of a, that we're afraid of God. A fearful sense of, yes, a reverence because we know we have boldness, but a right perspective of who He is and who we are. That He is God, and there's none beside Him. And we are His children, but we come humbly to the throne of grace. The spirit of the humble. The word humble simply means to be literally or figuratively depressed or abased. And the fruit of that humility, of course, the evidence of that, will be obedience to the Word and to the will of God. That is ultimately the fruit of humility, that I will obey Him. Jesus Himself set forth that example when He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. May we take up our cross. May we truly humble ourselves and bring ourselves low, but may we leave with a cross, His cross, that it is no longer my will, but it is His will. I'm not going to live my life any longer for me. And I am what I want, but I'm going to live my life for Him. I'm going to crown Him king of my life. May we never forget Gethsemane. Because when we forget it, we forget that He is the king of our lives. Jesus said that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. He says, for I always do those things that please Him. Here is the humble servant. Everything of his life was to please the Father. Even in the most crushing time of his life, of his earthly ministry, he said, nevertheless, as the cup is presented to him, not my will, but thine be done. That's humility. It is not for me, it's not I, it's not what I want, it is what he wants. And then I will say, not my will, but thine be done. May God crush our wills. Crush our wills. May our, all, may our wills be crushed with His great love and His purpose. And may we truly say, not my will, but thine be done. The opposite, of course, is what you're seeing in this world. The opposite of all of this, because it's, it's a different kingdom. The opposite is the Antichrist world that we are now looking at, that it's all around us. The spirit of lawlessness. That is what we are seeing. That is what we, we sense. And that is even the spirit that is sweeping in amongst the church. The mystery of iniquity is working. There is no authority. There is no, there is no authority in the nation. There's no authority in the home. There's no authority anywhere. It's the spirit of lawlessness. It's, it's like in Judges 17. In those days, there was no king in Israel. 
And everyone did that which was right in their eyes. Why? There's no authority. I thank God that there's an authority in the church and there is a king and his name is Jesus. We are subjects to the king. We are sons of the king. We are servants of the king. But we are his subjects. I'm a willing subject to King Jesus this morning. That goes against the grain of this world that there is no king. We'll do whatever we want and the spirit of that is in the church. I'll live whatever way I want to live. But I thank God there's a king of my life this morning. And his name's Jesus. The reviving power of God will come on the humble heart. Friends, this is revival. The reviving power of the living God on a humble heart. We want to see revival. This church was planted for revival. And we want to see revival and we might have many different ideas of what revival looks like. And we read the testimonies and we see the tremendous work of God in revival. Souls saved. God moving. Breaking down the hardest of hearts. Sinners melting in the presence of the Lord. The church revived by the power of the Spirit of God. A victory, a shout in the camp. A church triumphant in the face of all the powers of hell. An overcoming church. And at the center of it all, King Jesus. Him and Him alone. And unto Him shall the gathering of the people be. The reviving power of a restoration and signs and wonders that follow them that believe. These are the natural things that happen. In revival, they happen. They just happen. Signs and wonders follow them that believe. Men are raised from the dead. Lepers are healed. Eyes are opened deaf. Ears are unstopped. That's true revival. Men are captivated by the power of a living God as He comes down in conviction. Men tremble at the presence of the Lord. Men tremble at the presence of the Lord. We're slow to speak. We're sensitive to His presence. There's an intensity. Something happens that stops us on our tracks. It's not just business as usual. We're stopped by the power and the presence of God. And He begins to deal with us. He begins to deal with the depths and the inner parts of our hearts and the things that have laid dormant for years and years and years. And we've sat through sermon after sermon after sermon and have had no effect. But then God, the Holy Ghost, comes. And then he begins to deal with the heart of the church and the heart of his people. And he does it in his mercy and he does it in his grace. But he begins to break down all the resistance of man. All the apparatus that man has built up over the years. All the religious things that we put in place. God begins to melt him at his presence and he begins to break us down. Oh, for a revival. When God begins to deal with his people. The reviving power that comes will come always when there's a humble spirit, but there is a purpose in him coming. We have to know there's a divine purpose. And that is to recover the church to the purpose and the plan of God. And that is for the glory of Christ and Christ alone. We look at these Old Testament accounts, the reason why we do is because the Old Testament is largely a history, a selection of history books that God is saying, I want to tell you the history of my people. And this is what I want you to know. Men might have thought of different things and have their encyclopedias and everything else of what they believe history is, but God says, I'm going to write my history for you to know. And there's a purpose why he gives us these 66 books. And God the Holy Spirit leaves them with us. Because in them we'll find spiritual truths. You'll find it, of course, in the dealings and the workings of God with his people Israel. 
And we've been looking at Manasseh, we've been looking at the kings, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, the rebellion, the good kings, the evil kings, how God dealt with them and the prophets that came. And God hasn't changed. We draw out the principles and the patterns and we can see how God deals with his people, but there's always a purpose. Revival's not just to make us feel good. There's a purpose of God in revival. There is a recovery, but we got to see what God is doing. In Nehemiah chapter 1, if you turn back to it just for a moment, I want to follow some patterns this morning and show you the purpose in revival and in recovery. In Nehemiah chapter 1, we know the story of Nehemiah the copper. And here he's inquiring after Jerusalem the place that had been appointed by God for his people, and now they're far from God. The captivity had come. The destruction had come. The consequences of rebellion had come. The judgment of God had fallen. And now Nehemiah has a heart. He has a heart for the work of God. He has a heart for the people of God. And it says in verse 3, he's told that the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach and the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And we see that in the heart of a man there's a, a burthen for God's work. There's a desire, it's in prayer. That's where it begins. And that's where it's sustained. And that's where it ends. All in prayer. But he hears of the devastation. Things are broken. Things are burnt out. It couldn't be any worse. And God has a purpose as he begins to birth in the heart of Nehemiah to rebuild again Jerusalem and the walls for the glory of God. But the enemy comes quickly. And the enemy is a real enemy. See, the enemy wants to keep you in the place of brokenness, and devastation, being burnt out and there's no hope and there's no recovery and there's no answer and it's never going to change and that's the way it is i want to tell you friends the enemy's a liar he's a good liar but he is a liar nehemiah in his heart has a burden now because he believes the walls can be built we can recover that which is lost because god's able and he begins to pray and fast and seek the Lord. And he knows the reality of how bad it is. He inspects the walls. He sees the devastation. But then the enemy comes. The enemy says, if you turn over to Nehemiah chapter 4, he's trying to thwart the plan and the purpose of God as they're coming to build again. But it says there in verse 1 of Nehemiah 4, when Sambalat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth. He took great indignation. He mocked the Jews. He spake before his brethren, and the army of Samaria said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? And he says, This is the purpose. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? Will they bring back together the wall? And will they take out those stones that are lying in the depths of the rubbish and, and the rubbish of this world? Is it possible? That these feeble Christians here in New Testament Pentecostal church and all the other ones that are scattered across the land that are praying for revival and a move of the Spirit of God, do these feeble weaklings think that it's possible that out of all of this mess that we're in that there is a reviving? And the enemy begins to mock them. And that's what religion will do, friends. That's what religion does. It mocks. Who do they think they are? Where do they come from? Who told you you could do this? Why are you here? Who sent you? What do you think you're going to do? We're nothing. We're nobodies. But we do believe in a God that's able to do anything. There's a purpose. There was a reviving of the stones out of the rubbish. I want to tell you something, friends, that has been pressed on me this week. There is nothing more beautiful and nothing more attractive than when God lifts a stone out of the rubbish and places that stone in the wall. 
the greatest attraction that there can be to the church of Jesus Christ. And I thank God for it all. Don't mis misunderstand me in any way. It's an amazement. It is a sign and a wonder in the provision of the Lord next door. To stand in it and to see how God has brought it all together. It is overwhelming for us. It is truly overwhelming. But what beautifies that building more than anything else is when you and I, as those stones that have been took, took out of the rubbish and the muck and the mire, and God places them in that body, and then in that body there's a, un there's a unity, and there's a beautiful thing that happens because these are the trophies of God's grace. And that's what we're looking for. You see, this morning, if you're saved, you've been dug out of the rubbish. Praise the Lord. He's delivered us out of the muck and the mire. And nobody does. He says, no, I just don't want to deliver you. I want to have a purpose for your life. I'm going to place you in the wall. You're part of this. And he takes the prostitute and the drunkard. And he takes the self-righteous. And he takes all the broken lives and lives that have been destroyed by the powers of the enemy in darkness. And he revives them out of the rubbish and he places them in the wall. And the Holy Ghost then illuminates Christ in them and through them. And the wall is built. And it's a defense against the powers of darkness when the wall comes together. That's the unity of the Spirit. But the enemy wants to pull that down. That's what revival looks like. That's what the church is supposed to be. Lives that have been redeemed. Lifted out of the rubbish. Anyone been lifted out of the rubbish? Glory to God, we've been lifted. But then, not only are we lifted, He joins us together. I think that's the greatest miracle. Bringing us all together. That's the miracle of an upper room, 120 people with all those wills and passions, ambitions and everything else and he forms it all together and he moves through it. That is a miracle. But can he do it again? Can he find hearts that are humble enough to say, not me, not I, but oh God, we need to see you move in your power. We need a recovery because we want to see the wall extended. We want to see the wall beautified but so there's many more still to come. And he beautifies the wall. And he takes a broken life and this is what's pressed upon him. He takes a life that is wrecked and ruined and broken and battered and bruised and in his mercy he just lifts it up out of the rubbish and he says, I'm going to put you in the wall. Do you know what that looks like as the world goes by? Look at that. I remember what they were. I remember where they went. I remember what they did. I remember the life that they once lived. And now there's a wall of trophies of grace. Isn't it amazing? The enemy says, you'll not do that. Are you really going to believe for the souls of men, a harvest of souls? We're in the last days. It's all over. Better just to shut the doors. Just make it a waiting room for heaven. We'll just take it through here. And we'll try to get by in our lives. Friends, I believe that we need to believe the Lord for a great recovery. Lively stones, Peter says, that are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It's a spiritual house. We have a physical house that the Lord has blessed us with. But it's a spiritual house. What makes it spiritual is you and I, spiritual people, coming together as a body. That's what church is. I know people think church is the place that you go or the denomination you belong to or the label that you've been given when you were born. That's not what church is. Church is a spiritual house. It's a gathering of people who have been redeemed, brought together as a holy habitation of God. There's a divine purpose. I want to show you this purpose in Ephesians 3 and 9. It says these words, Ephesians 3 and 9, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Verse 10. And Ephesians 3 says, and to the intent that now 
unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. You see the purpose of church, the ecclesia, the called out. There's a wrong view of church in the church. What people think the church is is not what it is. This is what the Bible says the church is as a spiritual house, but it is to the intent or the principalities and powers in heavenly places may be made known by the ecclesia, the called out ones, the manifold wisdom of God. There are rulers of darkness, principalities and powers that are arrayed all across this land. The spirit of Jezebel and Manasseh and witchcraft is in its abundance all around us, but over the church, the manifold, the wisdom of God, the gathering of his people, you know that the principalities and powers are looking upon the gathering of this wee group this morning. And they're looking upon us and they're saying, those are those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. If they truly knew the fullness and the revelation of who they are in Christ, seated with him in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers, if they really got it this morning. But we make a church in the sense of the traditional sense in the religious sense, because that's the way we've been conditioned. But may God break that mindset in us all. It's the mystery. Verse 11 says, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. And Paul writes in Colossians 1 and 26 says, Even the mystery that has been hid from the ages and from generations, but is now manifest to the saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory, of the mystery among the Gentiles, that's you and I, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The whole world is waiting to see. The revelation of this Christ in our lives by the power of the Holy Ghost. May God revive us again. Because what they see, let's be honest, is death and division. They see it, friends. They see the religiosity. God doesn't need anything else but His people, His church. He doesn't need any organizations. He needs His church to be the church of Jesus Christ. Yesterday we were driving, I couldn't get driving anywhere because there's parades all over the place. Oh, that the church would rise up. We've had enough of all of that. God does not need any secret organization. He needs his church to be the church. Soldiers that will fight the good fight of faith. A reviving of the church brings a recovery of that which has been lost. I want you to turn back to Ezra. Chapter 1 this morning. God begins to work sovereignly. I believe that we're going to see this in our day. I want to say that again because I believe we're going to see this in our day. When God sovereignly begins to work. He begins to stir hearts. God does that. God the Holy Ghost does that. No one else. It can't be created, worked up. It is a work of the Holy Ghost. And I believe that God has already begun to do that. Ezra chapter 1, you see the sovereign work of God tells us there now in the first year, Ezra 1 and 1, of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Here's a, here's a wicked king. That gives me hope. That gives me hope this morning for Michelle O'Neill. Amen. Pray to God this morning that God would stir her heart because if God can save you, He can save Michelle O'Neill. Pray to God that He would stir the heart of Boris Johnson. He's a liar. He's a fornicator. He's all those things, but God can stir the man's heart. And God begins to stir the heart of a king. And he made the proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing. And he said, verse 3, Who is there among you of this people? As God be with them, let them go to Jerusalem, which is Judah. Let them build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God. 
which is in Jerusalem. God stirred the heart of a wicked king. Look at the words that he said. I don't know whether he actually really knew the words that were coming out of his mouth, but God sovereignly is working. Who is there among you of all the people? His God is with him. Let him go. Let him build. For he is the God. In verse 5 it says, Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, the priests, the Levites, with all of them. Now listen to this. This is important. With all of them whose spirit God had raised to go and to build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. The word raised in the Hebrew simply means the spirit that has been awakened. God had awakened the spirit of the people to go and build. I know this to be true, that there are many in this room that God has awakened your spirit for the days in which we're living and awakened maybe a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago, some 20 years ago, some longer 25 years ago, but an awakening took place in your spirit to build again, to see in these last days a testimony for the Lord, a reviving of his people. And so we see there's an awakening. Now in the awakening, we see there is a restoration. Ezra chapter 1 and verse 7 says, Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem, and had put them in the house of his gods. We see here that there was a devastation. Nebuchadnezzar, when the Babylonian captivity was about to take place, he had come into the house of the Lord, and they would taken all the treasures of the house. And they would taken them back, and they put those treasures in the houses to their gods. What that shows me this morning, friends, is that there are many treasures that belong in God's house that are in other houses this morning to other gods, but there's a recovery in this. There's a bringing back of those vessels of God that are out in the world, that are out in other houses this morning, drug houses, drinking houses. And God is going to move by a Spirit to bring those treasures back to His house. Because that's where they belong. And Sarah's brought forth, verse 7, the vessels of the house of the Lord. Now in verse chapter 3, if you turn over to it in Ezra, in chapter 10, we see the building begins. I want to show you this this morning. When the builders, verse 10, Ezra 3, verse 10, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord. After the ordinance of King David of Israel, they sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good, his mercy endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout. They praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Friends, that's the day that we are in. I believe there's a foundation certainly been laid and there's much that we should praise the Lord and shout for and rejoice in because he has laid the foundation. In verse 12 it says, But many of the priests and the Levites and the chief of the fathers, the ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice. Many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard afar off. There was a noise that came out of his people. There was something that the people heard. It wasn't gossip. It wasn't bickering. It wasn't all the muck and the filth that we so often hear that comes from the house of God. But now there's a joy that came now there was a weeping that came. God was beginning to move because they'd come to a place, they'd been crushed, they'd been in a place where they'd been taken away and they know they can through the chastisement of the Lord. But now they're beginning to rejoice. They see that God is building something. And the ancient man that had seen the glory, have you an appetite for the glory of God? Have you a desire for His presence? 
Have you longing to be in His presence for an intensity of the Holy Ghost and the presence of Jesus? Is that your desire? Is that your longing? Because the desire's everything. Our desires have been taken with the things of the world. Our appetites are based on the temporal things. God's pleading with His church in this day, come back, let Him be the center and the joy and the everything and the glory and the lifter of our heads. And so there's a desire. But then there is the enemy. And I want to speak about the enemy this morning for a few moments. In Ezra chapter 4, when the sound was starting to come from the house, and I just want to say this this morning because I believe it's important that we should be very careful in the days in which we're living as a church, as a people. We're to take heed. We are to be careful. We're to be careful with our tongues, our mouths, our conduct. We are to do everything to keep the wonderful unity that we have because the enemy would seek to destroy when God's people start to move forward. You know that, don't you? Nazareth chapter 4 and verse 1. Now when the adversaries, how many people know we have an adversary? We know we have an adversary, is that right? Christian, you know you have, a, you have an enemy. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple of the Lord God of Israel, now they're coming. Now he's coming. We, we have a real enemy. You know, a lot of people don't believe that anymore, even in the church, they don't believe that there's a devil. I'm here to tell you there is a real devil. There's a real God, praise the Lord, who defeated the powers of darkness, but the church is on the earth, and the God of this world is still going around like a roaring land seeking whom he may devour, and you're his target. Christian, you're his target. Unbeliever, he has you. And he knows he has you, and he'll keep you in a place of bondage and darkness. You're held by either the power of darkness or the power of God. You might think you're holding yourself, but you're deceived. You're either held by him or you're held by Jesus. I'm glad I'm held by Jesus this morning. But there's a real devil. The adversary of the Christian. Paul writes, saying these words. He said in Ephesians 6, you know the, the, the words well, but I'll read them. But on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the wiles, the trickery of the devil, the schemes and the plans and the plots of the wicked one. Jesus says through Paul, put the whole armor of God on. Have you got your armor on? For we wrestle not against flesh and against blood, but we do wrestle, and what are we wrestling against? Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now we can ream that off. That's one of our memory ones. We can just say it. But I want to tell you something. Listen to me, friend, this morning very carefully. In these last days, we have an intense and a fierce battle that we are fighting. It's intense. Every believer in this room will know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're walking with the Lord, you have a desire, you'll know exactly what I mean. Because you're experiencing, you're coming into contact with principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. It's not just how you feel or what you think or all those type of things. There's an attack on the spirit there's an attack against the church of Jesus Christ. You're just not feeling like a wee off day. It's a spiritual battle. It's not just you. It is the enemy that's against you. And so we must put on the full armor of God that we can what? Stand. Stand against the wiles of the wicked one. Sadly, too often we fall. We fall into the same old traps and the same old tricks. Friends, may we stand. 
because we're coming into the last stretch of this. And having done all, we need to stand. But how are we going to stand? This is what the enemy will do if you go back to Ezra chapter 4. Ezra 4 and 4. Listen, saint, this morning, I just want to just speak into where I believe that some believers are. Recognizing the battle that you're in. <clears throat> the adversaries come. Verse 4 says, Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah. The enemy wants to weaken you. He wants to weaken your resolve. He wants to wear you down. How do you weaken someone? You keep wearing them down. You wear them down with your words, with your lies, with the circumstances. He'll keep wearing you down. And what happens is he begins to weaken us. We become weak in the faith. And the enemy began to weaken their hands. And then it says, and they troubled them. Is there anyone troubled this morning? And primarily speaking to those that are saved, weakened, troubled, weakened and troubled. You're a Christian. Let me tell you something, friend. I want, I want you to know this this morning. You, you need to know. I want to bring some light onto this because the enemy works in darkness and secrecy. He works in a place to keep you in a place of bondage that you're weakened and you're troubled and you can't work it out and you don't know how to go on and you're saved and you love the Lord but the battle is intense and it's fierce and you're weakened and you're troubled. Why? Because the enemy is working. I'm here to tell you, friend, this morning there's a victory. There's victory for you this morning not just in the words that we say but in the reality through the power of the Holy Ghost. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, there's victory. He's a liar. He is a liar. But we believe his lies. Sometimes we believe his lies more than we believe God's word. Sometimes in our conversation, we talk more about what the enemy's saying than what he says in his word about us. Because he weakens us. He weakens us with trials. He weakens us with circumstances. None of this happens without God's sovereign purpose. Have you considered my servant Job? He'll not pack it in. He'll not throw the towel in. He'll not walk away. He loves me. But he only loves you because of what you've given. If you take it all away, he'll walk away. But Job had something this world can't give. And you have something this world can't give you. It's a hope. Take all that away. Will you still serve him? Of course you will, because you love him. It got so bad at this time, in verse 24, it said these words, that the, then ceased the work of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. The sanctifying work of the Holy Ghost, the progression in the life of a believer it's right to the day that we die or he comes. God's continually wanting to do a work, a deeper work in our lives to make us into the, conform us into the image of Jesus. But do you know what happens? We're still saved. Now listen, we're still saved. But the work of God in our hearts and in our lives ceases. We stay the same. We don't change anymore. We get saved. We're all guns blazing. We're on fire for God. We get through year one, year two, year three. We're up and we're going. And we've got all the boxes ticked and then we move into self mode. I can do this. Well, we can manage this okay. And no longer are we being sanctified by the power of God because we are now doing it in our own effort and our own selves. And the work of grace begins to cease in our lives. We're not lost our salvation. We're just going through the motions. That's why we need to be humbled. That's why we need to get down. That's why we need to say, God, keep doing the work. Anybody need a work done? We need God to do the work. 
It's no longer ticking the boxes, friend. We need the Holy Ghost to do a fresh work, a circumcision of our hearts, a cutting back of that old flesh. We need God to come. This is desperate. This is an emergency. This is a call. This is a cry. The work ceased. And then you see the significance, and I believe this to be true, and I believe it's coming more and more. The prophetic was crucial for the work to go forward. In Ezra chapter 5, it just simply says there, then the prophets Haggai and Zechariah prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem and in the, name, in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. They began to speak the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came. The prophetic utterance came to the people where the work had ceased, where people had been tired and weary and worn down and no longer were doing the work of God. Now the prophet comes and he begins to speak into their hearts and says, why are you in this place? You're a victor in Christ. You're an overcomer through the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't live, have to live in defeat and playing around with the devil. You can walk this world in the victory. Rise up and build again. And the prophets begin to speak in the name of the Lord. What happened there is in verse 2, Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, the son of and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, began to build the house of the Lord with them that were the prophets of the Lord, helping them. Now as they're building, do you know what was happening? The prophets were coming down beside them. Brent, you keep going. Don't you turn. Don't you give up. Trisha, you keep pressing on towards the mark. Don't lie down. Don't give up. Don't throw the towel in. We're going home. Get up and fight. Get up and build. Get up and serve. Stop living in the place of defeat and unbelief and in the things of the world. But rise up out of your chair in Christ and build again. And you can see the prophets coming down. But we're tired. But we're weary. This has happened and that's happened. Tomorrow's coming. I've been in the same circumstance with the prophets saying, get up again and build. Believe God. And so they build and they press on. And the word that came was words that give life and encouragement to keep building. Tommy, it's not over. The glory of the Lord will fill the house in the latter day. Keep believing. Oh, we don't believe in revival anymore. We don't believe in the move of God anymore. We believe we can finish this in our own strength, brother. We've got all the boxes ticked. We've got all the equipment we need. Friends, my God, we need a Holy Ghost revival. Don't give up. Don't give in. Rise up. Build. And so they would rise up. And the prophets were encouraging them. And then, this is a classic of the enemy. Boy, I've heard this a lot. Who gave you the authority to build? Who said you could do this? Who told you you could come here? I tell you, I wish I had a pound for every time someone said that to me in Balnehenge. A place would be built and it'd be the second building after that would be built again. Who's your man? Who's he think he is? I don't think I'm anything. Who give you that authority? Friends, this is the stuff that goes on in churches. This is the stuff you hear from ministers. This is the stuff you hear from the religious people. Who told you to come here? It's our patch. Really? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's His. Listen, friends, it's unreal. Heaven's going to be an amazing place. They're going to be shocked that the, the dropouts are there. Praise the Lord. How'd you get here? I don't know. How'd you get here? It's amazing what the Lord can do in a life. But you know, he's taken, he's taken the nothing and the nobodies and the despised. And the day that we think we're somebody's and something is finished, we might as well lock the door. We're still nobodies. I'm still a nothing. 
I'm not interested in turning on the Christmas tree lights with the rest of the ministers and the square. The tree's rubbish anyway. We have a work to do. The souls of men. Who give you the authority to do what you're doing? I thank God for the authority of God on a life. Who told you you could knock my door and give me a gospel track? I'm here on the business of the king. Who told me that I could stand in a patch in the middle of Bel- in the middle of Belfast and give out tracks to the Dynamites and the nobodies? God told me I could be here, and that's why I'm here. Who told me that I could stand for Jesus in these days and sing his praises and glorify his wonderful name and give him the praise and the glory? I thank God I have an authority today that comes from heaven. It's not an arrogance, but religion's an awful thing, and we are full of it. Sorry if it offends the religious, but we are full of religion. Full of it, friends. I have never seen more religion in my life, and we have been to a few wee countries around the world where there's a lot of religion, but I've never seen more religion in my life than I've seen in this town. I don't say that against the genuine believers that are here, because there are some. There are some. There are some lovely Christians in other denominations in this town, but the religion, friends, it's unreal, and I know it's just the same across the land. Who gave you the authority? You know, they searched in the house. There's a new king. His name's Darius. And they searched in the house. And they found that there was a decree made. I thank God there was a decree made by Jesus 2,000 years ago when he's about to leave this planet. And you know what he said? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Found a decree. Darius made the decree, and this is, I'm coming to a close in a few moments, if you could bear with me. Ezra 6 and verse 1, Darius made the decree. Search was made in the house of the rose, where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. I believe this morning that there's treasures in Babylon. Babylon is that world, it's the Antichrist world, it's that world that's out there but there's treasures in that world. You know where those treasures belong? They belong in his house. In the first year, verse 3, of Zarus, the king, the same Zarus, the king made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be built. Remember he said that by the Spirit of the Lord. The place where they offered sacrifices, let the foundations thereof be. Do you know what he said? He said, let the foundations be strongly laid. See how important foundations are in your life? Here's a foundation. And I've said it often, i said it to many people. Here's a foundation to put in your life, and you're going to grow as a Christian. They continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. That's the Word of God. They continued steadfastly in prayer. They continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. They continued steadfastly in fellowship. Can I tell you, friends, in these last days, I'm not so concerned about the pandemic and the COVID and the this and the that and the other and all the rest of it. We need fellowship. I have one regret last year, and that is that we closed in the first three, three months. We should have opened the doors and kept plowing on, but we'll not close them again. We'll not close them again, friends. Fellowship's crucial. You need to be together. Oh, that's another meeting. I don't really care. When we were in India, there was men that traveled three days to be at a meeting, to be with us. We're just living in a different world. We need to be together. There's some foundations need to be laid. It says in verse 5 of Ezra 6, And also let the golden and the silver vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar took forth out of the temple, which is at Jerusalem, and brought unto Babylon, be restored. There is the recovery. And brought again to the temple, which is at Jerusalem. And then this is what it says. Everyone to his place. 
and place them in the house of God. I believe I'm like many of you in this room that we have loved ones that are not in the house. They're in another house. They're far away. But what I'm believing for with you, and I pray that you're believing for with me, that those precious vessels that are going to be brought into his house, into his place, and they're going to be placed. You just don't turn up. You're placed in the house of God. You see, find your place in the house. There's a place for you. Listen to me, every person in this room. There's, I know some people say, I just like the warmest seat. I tell you, friend, you're not here to warm a seat. You're not here to warm a seat. Find your place. There's a place for you. There's a place for you in the body. Find your place in the body. There's a place appointed for you. You're important. I shared with someone the other day, you're important. They told me that they're the person, I'm not going to mention any names, that slip in at the back and go again. There's no slipping in at the back. Sorry, not in this church. We're too small anyway. We want you to find your place. You're important. You're vital. We need you. The body needs you. It's a body. Find your place in the body and be there. You have no idea what your life means to someone else. Oh, see my life. Don't talk the enemy over your life. That's what people do. Sure, they not miss me if I'm not. We do miss you. You're a vital part of the body of Christ. We need you. God needs you. God needs people in this hour. Find your place, but be in it. Be faithful. It is required of a steward that he's found what? Faithful. What an attribute to be faithful, to be an encouragement, to be an encourager. Have you not been encouraged in the recent weeks? I have. I've been so encouraged in our faith, in our spirit, in our walk with God to see Ruth Brown come back and find her place in the house. Nobody else can take her place. But God kept it for her and he brought her back in. And there's many more. So the vessels are in the house of God. This is recovery. Friends, we have lost so much. There's so many things today that we see important, but they're really not. There's so many things that we focus on that are the things that are the treasures of the house, but they're not the treasures of the house. They become our little thing, but they're not his treasures. Let me tell you as I close this morning, the things which are precious. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and unto you therefore which believe. I tell you what's precious about this house, Jesus. You see, when the church lose that, that this is all about him, how precious he is, we've lost everything. I'll tell you another thing that's precious, that we have been redeemed not with corruptible things as silver and gold from our vain conversation received by the tradition of our fathers, but we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. That's precious. I'll tell you what's important and what's precious this morning. Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith. That's precious. That's important. I'll tell you what else is important, which is precious, the treasures of the house. Second Peter 1 and 4 says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and what? Precious promises. I'll tell you what else is precious. James 5 and 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, to the coming of the Lord. The husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. Souls are precious. You see what we've lost as a church? I'm talking about in general. We have so much, but the precious things are no longer precious. For so many, it's not about Jesus. 
For so many, they don't preach or sing about the blood. For so many, it's not about the precious faith or the precious promises. And worst of all, and saddest of all, it's no longer about precious souls. We've lost so much. The recovery, the recovery through a humble spirit will see the precious things, that which is really precious, become so alive and so center. David had lost so much at one point in his life. When he came to Ziklag, you know the story well. Nicky's been praying this prayer much over the last number of weeks, speaking it much in our home. He lost everything. It's devastation. It's brokenness. The enemy had taken so much. It says David inquired of the Lord. You know what he had to do to inquire of the Lord? What does it mean? He had to get himself low. He had to get down. He had to get down. He inquired of the Lord, but nobody asks. He says, Lord, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? It's just amazing we serve a God that hears and answers prayer. And he answered him. You know what he said? Pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. We are here to recover. To recover souls lives and what the church is really supposed to be he's precious we need to recover some things do you agree maybe you need to recover some things in your heart in your walk maybe you need to recover some things in your family but i thank god this morning that's through a humble spirit we're able to be revived and allow him to recover allow him to recover May God help us all this morning. Let's pray together.